Welcome to The Truth About Lending. I'm Melinda Payne, the president and owner of The Truth About Lending. I've been a licensed mortgage broker for over 25 years and bring you clear and straightforward insights on everything from securing your initial home purchase to refinancing your house or obtaining condo financing in Florida's dynamic lending market. Now let's get into the truth about lending. Welcome to this week's Lunch and Learn with me, Melinda Payne, owner of The Truth About Lending. This week, we're talking about smart credit moves to unlock lower interest rates and lower down payments. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have a really in-depth discussion about what you need to do and what to look out for in reference to um, credit reports and debts and everything else that you have. Uh, going on with your credit report or your client's credit report. So we're going to talk a little bit today about different types of debts, installment debts, revolving debts, a lot of different things. So let's first break down what's the difference between an installment debt and a revolving debt. So an installment debt is a car payment, a credit card, a car loan. Um, let's back up. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> installment debt is a mortgage payment, a car loan, or a student loan, something where you can't reaccess the, uh, the money again. So for example, a credit card would be a revolving debt or a line of credit would be a revolving debt. Something where you can access the money again would be a revolving debt. So it's really important to understand the differences between the two because an installment debt affects your credit differently than a revolving debt. So let's just break it down. An installment debt, what the credit bureaus are looking at, are really just your payment history. Not really the amount of debt that's owed, but primarily your payment history, okay? So if you owe $5,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 on an installment debt, it really doesn't affect you differently depending upon how much debt you have compared to the debt that they gave you. A revolving debt is a credit card or a line of credit. Those really affect you depending upon your usage. It's a completely different calculation. For example, if you have a $5,000 credit card limit on a, let's say a Visa card, and you have $1,500 balance on it, then your credit score is going to be better than if you had a $5,000 credit limit and a $5,000 balance. So basically the amount of credit that you've used affects your interest rate. Perfect example, if somebody has a $5,000 credit limit and they have a $2,500 balance, so they've used 50% of their available credit limit, their score is going to be slightly worse than if their credit limit was at 30% of their available, uh, if their credit balance was, was at 30% of their available credit limit. So let's just work through that again, okay? $5,000 credit card, $5,000 balance, your credit score is going to be the lowest of all of the options. $5,000 credit card, $2,500 balance, you're at 50% of your credit limit, your credit score is gonna be better, but not the best. $5,000 credit limit, 
$1,500 balance, now you're at 30% of your available credit limit, and then your credit score will be better. Now, they also look at the payment history. If you're somebody who pays a minimum payment every single month on your credit card, you're not going to have as great of a credit score as if you have paid a little bit extra. And it doesn't have to be a ton extra. So let's say your minimum credit card payment on that $5,000 credit card is $100 a month. If you send $110, $120, something a little bit more than the minimum, you actually get a better credit rating. So it's really important to know that how you pay the revolving debt and how you use the revolving debt really dramatically affects your credit. It makes a big difference. So if you're looking to get a lower interest rate, a lower down payment, you always want to have your credit scores as high as possible when you're applying for a mortgage. And what you want to do is the months prior to you actually uh, getting the mortgage, you want to speak with one of our professionals to be able to um, really get an idea of what to do and when to do it. So really, um, it takes uh, about 30 days for the credit. I see we have one question. It does take about 30 days for the credit to be updated. Now, every creditor is different. You can call the creditor and ask them, hey, Capital One Bank, when do you report? When is it that you report? So if usually most of the creditors report on the 5th to the 10th, like in the first five to 10 days of the month, but some creditors report at different times. So if you go ahead and pay something down at the end of the month, there's a good chance it'll be reflected in the first week. But if it's already past the time that it reports, then you either need to have a professional like us do a rapid rescore to get your score up, or you may have to wait for the next cycle to generate, which is usually about 30 days. Now, it's very important to note, some people will ask for a credit increase so that their percentage of credit limit to debt is, is changed. So be careful with that because that usually triggers some type of inquiry. But really, that does kind of have the same effect. Let's say you have a credit card with $5,000 balance and it's a $5,000 credit limit. If they increased your credit limit to $10,000 and you didn't pay it down, now you have a better percentage of credit compared to what you have available to you. It's really the same effect, but you want to be careful with that just because it could be an inquiry. Now, super important when it comes to credits that, uh, credit reporting and revolving debt. Listen, guys, whether it's a $5,000 credit card or a $500 credit card, that doesn't matter. What matters is the percentage of credit you've used to the limit. Perfect example, if you have a $200 credit card limit, okay, let's say you're somebody new, you're just establishing credit, you went out and you got a secured credit card, it's a $200 credit limit, you're in a situation where the same rules apply. We don't want you to use more than $60. We don't want that limit to be more than 30%. We don't want that usage to be more than 30% of your credit limit. It doesn't matter if that's a $200 credit card, a $2,000 credit card, or a $20,000 credit card. The amount of debt doesn't affect your credit score. With revolving debt, what affects it is the usage. 
Now, there's other things that come into play in reference to debt to income ratios and you qualifying for a mortgage and the amount of debt that you have outstanding. But today, guys, we're talking about tips on how to improve your credit, not about that stuff. So when you're looking at your credit, if you have a $200 card and you think to yourself, hey, I only owe them $180. What's the big deal? That's like such a small amount. No, no, no. You want to owe them less than 30% or 30% or less of the available credit limit. That's the sweet spot that you want to be at. Now, a lot of people also ask me about doing debt consolidation debt consolidation for revolving trade lines or credit cards. You hear a lot of this advertised. Hey, consolidate all your debt and we're going to get your lower rate. We're going to lower your payment. But let's talk about how that affects you from a mortgage perspective, okay? Let's say you have three cards. Each of them are um, with 50% of the usage. You have three cards. Each card, you have used 50% of that available credit limit. One card's $2,000 credit limit, you used $1,000. Another credit card is $1,000 credit limit, you used $500. And another credit card is a $3,000 credit limit, you used $1,500, okay? So your current usage is at 15, it's, it's at 50%, right? Remember how I said in the beginning, well, that's better than being maxed out, but the best would be below 30%. So what we're really talking about here is once you consolidate that debt into one new card, now all three of those trade lines that were at 50% of the available credit limit are now gone. There's zero balances, but you're in a situation where you know you have one card that's maxed out. And so now your, your usage on the other cards, they may be closed or they may be zero balance, but you don't have that usage every month, which is important to have usage. You don't want to not use the cards. It's important that a, a credit reporting agency sees you use the card, pay it down, use the card, pay it down. That's the best case scenario. A lot of people have zero balances and they never use the card. And sometimes we just get really like no score reporting from lack of activity. So it's really important you actually use the card and pay it down, even if you don't want to. Use it for a gas card. Use it, you know, whatever the case may be. Use it to buy groceries and pay it off. But when it comes to consolidating debt, you don't want to take three trade lines that may be at 50% of the available credit limit and then now go to one trade line that's, excuse me, maxed out. Not good for your credit score, okay? So let's talk about how does an authorized user affect you? There's a lot of people that are put as authorized users for their family, for their job, whatever the case may be, they're an authorized user on a credit card. The truth is an authorized user can actually help or hurt you. What does that mean? Well, if you're an authorized user on a credit card that your mother, brother, sister, cousin gave you, and that your mother, brother, sister is maxed out on that card, or they're making minimum payments each month, or they have a bad, bad payment history, you definitely do not want to be in a situation where you are associated with that credit history, okay? Now, if you have no credit history and you need a credit score or improve your credit score, and if somebody is willing to add you as an authorized user, then yes, that's fantastic. 
that will help you establish a better score, that will help you get a score if you don't have a score, but be very careful to discuss this with whomever it is that's adding you as an authorized user because you wanna make sure this is helping you and not hurting you. We will see on the trade line whether or not you're an authorized user or not. So we'll be able to tell if that's helping you or hurting you, and then we'll be able to then say to you, hey, please have yourself removed or whatever the case may be. Okay, I see we do have a question about what about the quantity of trade lanes? Does that affect your credit score? Is there a sweet spot? Well, so yes, the, the truth is, is that we'd like to see three or four active trade lines, at least three or four active trade lines. We have a client right now who we're trying to do a loan for, and she is really thrilled with herself that she's paid off all her debt. She has no debt at all, which is fantastic. We love when people come to us with hardly or no debt, okay? But in her situation, we can't get a credit score. We're having to tell her to go use her credit and have about three or four accounts that she's used for a month at least, or have somebody add her as an authorized user because there's no credit reporting because she's paid off all her debt and paid cash for everything which is fantastic that she has no debt, but doesn't help us for credit score. So that's the situation. That's a great question, Chase. Definitely three to four trade, trade lines, preferably at least three revolving in one installment, but if they're all revolving, that's okay as well. So let's talk about co-signing and does it really matter? A lot of people think when you co-sign for somebody that, you can kind of close your eyes and forget about it because it's not really your debt. You really co-sign for somebody. But guys, that is not the truth, okay? When you co-sign for somebody, it goes on your credit report, just like the person that you co-sign for. There's nothing that differentiates between whose liability this is. Because if you co-sign for your daughter's car or you co-sign for your father's you know, boat or whatever it is, you are responsible for it. You're 100% responsible for it. You're not 50% responsible for it. You're 100% responsible for it from our perspective. Now, as far as how it affects your qualifying from a debt to income standpoint, that's a different story. That's a different discussion for another uh, lunch and learn. But from a credit standpoint, I really, really want to encourage you to make sure that whoever is paying that debt either adds you to the online account so that you see it's being paid on time every month or um, gives you some kind of confirmation to make sure that it's being paid on time each month. It would be great if it's paid out of their bank account only, not without you being on that bank account. So that way we don't have to count that debt against you later on in your income calculations. But from a credit standpoint, please, please, please monitor your credit when you're co-signing for somebody. I cannot tell you how many times this has happened quite a lot that we have somebody who co-signed for someone and there was a late payment and then they come to us and they say, well, that wasn't mine. That was my sister's or whoever the case may be. No, guys, when you co-sign, you're 100% responsible because God forbid something were to happen to that person, guess who they're coming after? You. So it's really important that you understand what you're doing and then you're monitoring what you're co-signing for. So now let's talk about mortgage debt and late payments. Guys, this is the biggest effect 
on your credit. This is the biggest no-no ever. All right, let's say you're in a situation, God forbid, where you have to make a choice between paying your mortgage payment or paying your credit cards or your car payment. Pay your mortgage. A late car payment, a late credit card is far less of an effect on your credit than if you were late on the mortgage. Now remember, there's all kinds of programs out there for people who are late on their mortgage that you can talk to your lender about modifications, forbearance, all kinds of things to try to protect your credit and they're not supposed to report you late during that time. But if you have a choice, and of course we realize you may not have a choice if you get into a financial situation, but if you have a choice, please pay your credit cards late and your car payments late or your student loan payments late, not your mortgage, because it really does affect you dramatically on your credit score. We have a client right now, there was a situation where he had a mortgage late, one 30-day late in the last 12 months. His score went down 70 points, 70 points, but from one 30-day late on a mortgage. So it's a really big difference. So let's talk a little bit now about medical debt and what's going on with medical debt. So there's been a lot of stuff in the news lately for those who don't follow what exactly is happening with credit reports and the finance industry, but there's been a lot of stuff in the news uh, lately about medical debt no longer reporting on the credit report. Guys, this is partially true. Remember, we're the truth about lending. We're going to bring you the good, the bad, the ugly, the truth, okay? This is partially true. If it is a medical debt that's under $500, it doesn't report. You missed that $60 copay at the doctor, they sent you to collection, guess what? It doesn't report, okay? That's great. But anything over $500 does report on the credit. You wanna make sure that you're keeping an eye on that. This is such a big thing that we see on a regular basis. Listen, the health insurance companies out there are a pain in the butt, we know that. And so many people throw away your explanation of benefits or they don't pay attention to a 60, uh, to a, let's say in this case, a $600 bill for something that happened. Please, 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 medical debt over $500 affects your credit, okay? It generally is reported as a collection when it gets to the credit port, point. When you get to the point where it's reporting on the credit, it's a collection because otherwise it wouldn't be reporting on the credit. That's going to affect your credit. It's very important, okay? Now, let's talk about collections in general, okay? For the most part, if you have a collection outstanding and you pay the collection, it doesn't negate the fact that you had a collection. Example, you had a $600 collection for a cell phone that you contested that you don't believe that you owed. Verizon reports to your credit report. You decide, okay, I'm going to settle it. I'm going to pay the $600 collection. Well, now you have a paid collection, but you still have a collection. So it doesn't change the fact that you had a collection. Now, there are things that you can do to try to contest these collections. This is very, very important. If you've had a collection, and you don't pay it off, and you contest it with the credit bureaus. You can contest it in a few different ways, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. But if you have a collection that's not paid off, and you contest it with the credit bureaus, they're probably going to respond. They're probably going to say, yeah, 
that's uh, Susan's collection or that's whoever's, that's her collection. Yes, we see a balance outstanding. Now, if you settle that collection, if you're able to, we realize that there are certain situations where everybody's not always able to settle their collections, okay? But in the event that you have a collection and you're able to settle it, Remember, these creditors may settle 50 cents on a dollar, 70 cents on a dollar at a reduced amount, okay? Doesn't matter if it's at a reduced amount. If it is settled, it's settled, and that's all that's important for this uh, conversation we're having right here, okay? You have a collection, you settle it, it's now zero balance or it's settled, whatever the case may be. Then you go to contest the collection there is a very high probability that the creditor or the collection agency is not going to respond to the credit, uh, the, the credit bureaus that you're contesting it with. And in that situation, what happens is, is the credit bureaus have to remove the collection. So now you've completely eliminated it. Remember what I said, if you have a collection and you pay it off, it doesn't change the fact that we see a paid collection. Yes, it helps your credit scores a little bit. And some creditors, good question, Shannon, some creditors do a pay for delete, but they may or may not do that. What does pay for delete mean? It means that you tell them, hey, I'm going to pay this off. You might lose some of your negotiation power on settling it, but you never know. You can try. But I want you to completely remove it from my credit, like as if it's never happened. Now, we're seeing less and less and less of that happening. Because honestly, the creditors will say, yeah, yeah, we'll pay for delete it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they don't. They end up just reporting it as a paid collection. So unless you have a letter in your hand saying that this collection was an error and should have never happened, it's hard to really rely on the collection agency actually deleting the trade line. What they normally do is just report it as a zero balance, even if they tell you that they're going to delete it. So be careful with that because sometimes they're not being truthful. So what's important is, is that after the account is paid off, you have a really good chance of getting it removed from your credit report. Now let's talk about how do you contest things with your credit report and what can you do to try to remove some of these derogatory things with your credit report. Now, when an account is, when an account is closed or when an account is a zero balance, there's much more likelihood that you'll be able to contest whatever it was. Let's say you had a student loan from five years ago, you had some late payments on it, you paid the student loan off a few years ago. There's a good chance if you can test those lates that they'll get removed because they'll probably not respond, okay? It depends on the creditor, but there's a good chance they may not respond. There's a few ways that you can contest things. You can go to annualcreditreport.com and we'll put that below in the post when we post this video. It's basically annualcreditreport.com. It's the one truly free place that you can go to. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to sign up for credit monitoring or anything else. You can do this once a year. You can go ahead and contest anything derogatory directly through that. And when you go to annualcreditreport.com, you want to make sure that you are contesting this on, um, you're doing this, not contesting, I'm sorry, you're, do, you're starting this process when you have a good amount of time to sit down and go, um, and go into the process because it takes probably a good hour or two if you're not familiar with the system. And to be honest with you, 
I personally think that the system is really not user friendly. So whether you have somebody from the Truth About Lending help you or tell you where to go, or you contact annualcreditreport.com directly, it is a free service. But in my opinion, it's not the most user friendly. So if you have to get out of it and then go back into it, it's not the greatest. But it is free. It will take you through each credit report one by one, and you'll be able to contest anything derogatory on the credit. We always suggest to the consumer to make sure you can test everything that's derogatory, even if it's an old 30-day lead. Whatever it is, if it's derogatory, it could be affecting you. Now, very important, when you go on annualcreditreport.com, it's going to take you through an identity verification process through each credit bureau. And it's going to ask you questions like that even you yourself are not 100% certain of. For example, your car payment in 2020 was between $581 to $601 or between $602 to $632. Like what? Like you really want to kind of have either a copy of your credit report with you to reference or you want to know what these debts are very quickly because if you answer the wrong question, they're going to say, sorry, you can't do this online. And then you really have to either do it through snail mail or you have to wait a certain period of time for them to reopen the window for you to be able to verify your identity. And by far the fastest thing to do is really uh, to go ahead and do this online. And I see we have a question about um, does the uh, DMV or insurance lapse, especially when it gets turned to collection, yeah, anything that reports to a credit bureau, this is a great question, Chase, anything that reports to a credit bureau, it will affect your credit. Now, remember what I said, if it's a medical thing, under 500, it doesn't. So it really just depends on um, what exactly happens. If, if it's the DMV, I'm thinking you're talking about car insurance here, not health insurance. So yes, it could report, and that is something that you may want to clear up. Now, let's talk about credit repair. We don't do credit repair. We can give you advice on what you can do with your credit. But if you're in serious need of credit repair, I really like Lexington Law. I think they're one of the more reputable companies that um, you could use online. You don't have to use them long for a long term. Um, in my experience, using Lexington Law for just a few months may help you. And then I don't think you really need it after a few months if you don't have time to do it yourself through annualcreditreport.com. We'll also put the link for Lexington Law in our comments below. But personally, I think if you have the time and you can do the annualcreditreport.com, you can save yourself some money as opposed to going through Lexington Law. Now, let's talk about Experian Boost. What is it? How is it used? Should you use it? And does it help? Experian Boost is a program that Experian, the credit agency, uses to be able to improve your credit score. Basically, what it is, is they link your bank account or your electric bill or your cable bill or your cell phone bill by going into your bank account and seeing what you pay on a regular basis. There's a lot of people who are a little bit concerned about giving Experian access to their bank account. My experience is that it's 100% safe and that it is a good thing to do, especially if you have a lower credit score or you're just starting to establish credit. Remember, you can cancel it at any time, but I definitely recommend it. Yes, they're going to report things like 
your, your car insurance, your cable bill, or your electric bill, or your gym bill, or whatever you pay on a regular basis. And this is going to really help boost your Experian credit score. It really does help. Um, you can sign up for it directly on Experian's website. There is no charge that I know of for the Experian Boost. Although I think that in some cases it's used in conjunction with some of the credit monitoring. So you would really need to go to Experian.com. We'll put that link in the post once we post that. So that way you can see exactly what we're talking about. But I highly suggest you go ahead and do the Experian Boost. In our experience, Experian is one of the more conservative credit bureaus. They're one of the lower credit scores in general. So it's always a good idea of anything you can do to bring up that Experian credit score would be great. So now we're going to move on a little bit and talk about inquiries and what does that mean to your score. There's a lot of misinformation about credit inquiries. First of all, there's a lot of people that think if you if you apply for a mortgage and then you apply for a mortgage again within so many days that the inquiry doesn't count. Guys, that's a bunch of BS. I mean, I'm just going to tell you straight out. It really is a bunch of BS. Every inquiry counts, but the difference is, is how does it affect you? Listen, if you have one or two or three inquiries when you're shopping for a mortgage, it shouldn't be a big deal. But where you get really, really, really hurt is when you go shopping for a car I cannot tell you how important it is to closely monitor the situation when you go to shop for a car. Use a credit union, get pre-approved to Capital One, go to a finance company directly before you even go shop for a car so you don't have to involve the finance guy at the car dealership. Or if you have to go to the car dealership and have the guy do the credit pull, this is what's gonna happen. He's gonna send him the application that you give him through an automated system that spits out the application to like 10 finance companies, okay? And every one of them is going to do an automatic credit pull. And that finance guy is gonna come back with the best offer for your car situation. Dangerous stuff if you're going to be applying for a mortgage because every one of those inquiries will count. And with that many inquiries, it's going to lower your credit score. Now, the car guy may say to you, listen, don't worry, we're just going to do one inquiry. That's right. The dealership only does one inquiry, but the finance companies do inquiries also. I myself have experienced this when I've gone to a dealership and I literally said, hey, I own a mortgage company. I don't want my credit pulled at multiple places. I'm only allowing you to have one authorization for the dealership. And if you don't have a finance company that will accept that, then I don't want to go forward. And what happened? They said, well, sorry, everybody has to pull credit. There's nothing we can do. What did I do? I went to a credit union. I went to a credit union. I got pre-approved for a car loan. And then I went to the dealership and shopped and eliminated the finance guy completely. That's the best thing to do if you have to shop for a car. Now, if you're getting a lease on a car, we all know that that's different. Then you're really going to have to go through the dealership. But you really need to have a conversation with the finance guy and say, listen, who are you going to put this through? Chrysler Financial, Ford Financial, whatever it is, Ford Motor Credit, whoever, whoever they're going to put it through, have an honest conversation saying, listen, I'm applying for a mortgage in 90 days from now. I don't want 15 inquiries. Can you just put it through one place? They may or may not have the capability of doing that. If you can wait 
to get the mortgage application done first and then apply for a car loan, that would be better. Now, when I say and then apply for a car loan, I mean after closing. If you can't wait till after closing, this is a conversation that you need to have with your loan officer. There might be some things we can do. Pull the credit on our end first, then you go to a car dealership, will then disclose the new debt that you got, but at least all those inquiries won't hurt you because we've already locked in your credit pull and that's good for four months, okay? Very, very, very important, okay? Now, let's talk about something that's also been very actively talked about, a soft credit pull versus a hard credit pull. What the heck is the difference, guys, right? Like, you guys don't know what the difference is. Well, the difference is with a soft credit pull, it's not supposed to affect your credit score. It allows us to look at your credit, to look at your liabilities, and to really work in the file, tell you what you're qualified for, tell you what um, you may be able to do as far as an interest rate. And in some cases, depending on the file, we may be able to even issue a pre-qualification with a soft credit pull. Now, soft credit pull does not lower your credit scores, okay? A hard credit pull could if there's many, many, many of them. Now, remember what I said, two or three with mortgage lenders really shouldn't make a big difference as long as there aren't other inquiries going on, but a soft credit pull does not affect your credit score. And at some point after we've told you what we can do for you, we will then get permission from you in writing to do the hard credit pull. It's very, very important when you're going to apply for a mortgage, speak to the loan officer, whether that's us or a different company, which we certainly hope it's us, but do not let them do a hard credit pull. They will tell you they can't do a soft credit pull. That's a bunch of BS. They can definitely do a soft credit pull. They may not want to because if they do the hard credit pull, then they may think that you're locked into them. And that's the truth. Remember, we're the truth about lending. We're bringing you the truth about everything. Also, very important to know, there is a way to opt out from solicitations. Now, for those who've had mortgages in the past, you may know that when you actually do allow the loan officer to do a hard credit pull, all of a sudden you're getting 50 emails, 50 phone calls, text messages, like you're like, what the hell is going on? Somebody has my information. Well, guess what, guys? The credit agencies sell trigger leads. And what are trigger leads? When your credit has been pulled by a mortgage company, they then sell your information. We don't give them the information. This is not coming from us or any mortgage company directly. This is coming from the credit agencies. They give whatever contact information they have for you. If they have on file your cell phone number, your email, they don't give them your social security number, okay? They don't give them personal information like that, but they do give them your phone number, your email, and they also disclose what bucket you're in. If you have a 760 credit score, they're selling you as a lead to another mortgage company that is buying trigger leads for clients between a 760 and a 70, whatever bucket you fall in. Then you're going to get 50 million emails, text messages. It's very, very annoying. And sometimes it's even, they even are doing fraudulent things like calling you and saying, Hi, I'm your processor on your file with the Truth About Lending. Please send me your last pay stub or W-2s. And they're trying to impersonate who your loan officer is or your processor is. You have to be really careful. 
We can put the link how to opt out from the solicitation when we do this post, but I really encourage you, please opt out. If you want something, you'll reach out to them. You'll reach out to a creditor if you want something. And this doesn't just apply for mortgages, guys. This applies for car loans, this applies for credit cards, whenever you apply for anything, the industry you've applied in, it triggers what we call trigger leads. So it's super important that if you don't want 40 million phone calls and emails, to go ahead and opt out. Now we're gonna really kind of talk a little bit about the different tiers of credit scores and what the mortgage companies look at. So everybody knows there's different kinds of mortgages. There's FHA, which are government loans or VA loans. And then there's conventional loans, which are Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of loans, okay? When you're getting a conventional loan, a Fannie Mae loan, there are tiers that are much stricter. The tiers start at a 620 credit score, okay? That's the lowest tier. Between 620 to 639 is one tier. It's every 20 points. 640 to 659 is another tier. 660 to 679, you get it? So there's tiers every 20 points, all the way up to a 760 or 780 credit score, okay? The best tier is 780 or higher, and then it progressively gets a little bit worse in the interest rate or possibly the terms, depending on the kind of loan that you're getting, okay? So it's very important to know that when you get a mortgage, it is very sensitive to the credit scores. So if you have a 759 credit score and you think, God, this is a great score, if we can figure out a way to get you in the next tier to 760, your monthly payment may be lower just from one point if it's a conventional loan. And that's super important to understand. Now, there's some types of loans that are government loans like VA or FHA loans that are less credit score sensitive, especially FHA loans. They're much less credit score sensitive. You can actually go down to, well, with FHA, there really isn't a credit score requirement, but the lenders that loan money for FHA loans typically have like a 580 minimum credit score. Some go down to a 550. But generally, the best interest rates with FHA is with a 620 credit score or higher. And the same thing with VA. You really want to be at 620 or higher for FHA or VA. And guess what? You're not going to get a better interest rate if you're at 630 or 730. It's really pretty much the same across the board. Okay? So that's what the credit scores are that are looked at. Remember when we talked about soft credit pools a moment ago? Soft credit pulls usually mimic what the hard credit pulls are going to come out at. But if we've done a soft credit pull in February, and then you go looking for a house and you don't find something until March, the end of March, or you know, let's say April, and then you come to us and you say, Melinda, I found the house, you did the pre-approval, everything is good, we did the soft credit pull, now we need to do the hard credit pull, there could be a slight change in that credit score. It, in that credit score, it just depends on what you've done. Have you used your credit cards? Did you have inquiries because you shop for a car? So we always want to be very careful when the hard credit pull hasn't been done. Now, once a hard credit pull is done, it's good for four months, meaning that another pull should not need to be done. We can use the credit pull that we do. Now, there's some exceptions to that for some of the portfolio loans, like the no income verification loans and uh, maybe investor cash flow loans. So those type of loans have a little bit of different guidelines, but for the most part, if it's just a regular FHA, 
conventional or government VA loan is going, they're going to use our credit scores. It's just one credit poll and it's good for four months, meaning you need to close within that four month period of time. Now, if it goes past that, yes, a new credit score can be pulled and it's all subject to whatever happens with your credit at that time. But it's really important to understand that if you have a soft credit poll and we see that you have a 659 score, we're going to encourage you to do certain things, maybe pay down revolving debt, whatever we can to get you to that 660 score prior to the hard credit poll. Okay? It's very important to talk to your loan officer about it. A lot of loan officers do not go into this much detail in reference to credit reports because they're just in a hurry to get everything done for you. We want to get everything done for you in a way that's the best for you. And if that means that we have to do a little bit of extra work to make that happen, that's okay. We're, we're, more, uh, we're more concerned about the relationship that we have with our clients than the commission. Yes, we're trying to make a living. Everybody is trying to make a living. But we're trying to make sure that you're happy with us, that you're going to refer your friends and family to us. And it's little tips like that that makes a big difference through the process. Okay. Let's talk about what to do with student loans and what's the difference between deferments, forbearance, income-driven repayment plan. There's all these words being thrown out there. How does it affect your credit? Good question. Guys, a deferment or a forbearance affects your credit the same as if you had no late payment. So if you go into a forbearance or you go into the deferment, it's not a derogatory thing that reports on the credit report. Now, if you wait until you're late on the, the student loan and you're 60 or 90 days behind, and then you go into deferment or forbearance, the late payments before the deferment or the forbearance will affect your credit score. Now, what's the difference between the two? That is really something to talk to the uh, student loan servicer about. Sometimes you might still be in school, so there's a deferment, or sometimes you could be going through um, a, um, let's say, a, dis a natural disaster. There might be a, um, a forbearance because of a natural disaster. Those do not negatively affect your credit. What affects your credit is you waiting to the last minute to get this done and then having late payments that actually post on the credit report. Income-driven repayment plans. Those don't affect your credit in a negative way. An income-driven repayment plan is an installment loan. It does not affect you negatively if it is reporting that you're paying on time. So whether your, your student loan payment is $1 or $1,000, if you're paying it on time, it doesn't make a difference, okay? As long as you're paying it on time, the amount that you're paying doesn't negatively affect you. Income-driven repayment plans do not negatively affect you. We have plenty of people who, you know, they might be teachers and they have a lot of student loan debt and they're waiting for it to be forgiven because they're working for the school board and maybe they have a $2 payment on a very large student loan. That's okay. It doesn't negatively affect you guys anyway. Now let's talk again about what we're looking at for the number of, tra of trade lines. That was a really good question that Chase asked earlier in the, in the podcast here about what are we looking at for the number of trade lines? Like I said earlier, we really want to see a minimum of three to four trade lines, but it's important that you're actually using the trade lines. So if you have trade lines open and you're not using them, it doesn't help us. So really, it's very important that you use them 
pay it down. In a perfect world, you use a trade line up to, if it's a revolving trade line, you use it up to 30% of the available credit limit and you pay the entire thing off each month. You use it, you pay it off. That's a perfect scenario. But in a next perfect scenario, you use it to 30% of your available credit limit and then you make a payment that's a little bit more than your minimum payment. Also very good for your credit, okay? Guys, that's it for today on uh, smart moves to make here on credit. If anybody has any other questions that they want to put in the chat, we can go ahead and answer any questions uh, at this time. Uh, I encourage you to make sure that you speak with your loan officer, which hopefully will be at the Truth About Lending, to review everything ahead of time. Even if uh, you are not looking to buy for several months, you really want to make sure you're preparing uh, ahead of time because you don't want to be in a situation where maybe your uh, apartment is, uh, the lease is up and now you only have 60 or 90 days to prepare your credit. Um, all right. So I think I don't see any other questions in the chat. We're going to post this video along with the links that I mentioned um, in, the, uh, in, in the podcast that I just did. And please, please, please join us next week. Uh, we're going to talk about resolving escrow shortages in home ownership. If you own a house and you've received an escrow analysis where all of a sudden your payment has gone up tremendously, how do you deal with it? Why did it happen? What you should do? How does it affect your credit? Could it affect your credit? It's very, very important if you own a house already, listen in to next week's show and please like us. Uh, on our YouTube and, for, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So that way you get your weekly updates about uh, the uh, Truth About Lending podcasts and you'll be able to watch them once they post also as well. All right, have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to us and listening to our podcast weekly. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Lending. Stay up to date with all Florida loan and mortgage news by subscribing to our channel and help us grow so we can continue bringing you insight and advice. Please like, share, and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find the links to all our social media profiles in the description. You can find extra resources on our website, thetruthaboutlending.com. If you have any questions about Florida mortgages, we are licensed and ready to talk to you today. Call us at 888-76-TRUTH. That's 888-768-768. 7884. You can also email us at melinda at ttal.info or visit us at our website, thetruthaboutlending.com. Until next time, remember the truth about lending is out there for you. No, you're not alone. Because I'm going to make this place your home.